Um, it, no, hopefully I do. Um, but I did want to thank Joy and Michael um, for jumping in and, uh, and leading worship with us this morning. Um, what a delight it is to have them and to have them lead worship for us. Um, yeah, things, uh, things changed pretty uh, quickly this week as, as reports came in and uh, texts were coming in um, as we were um, supposed to be off this week. Uh, if you have a bulletin, you can throw that away, uh, either online or otherwise, since uh, none of it actually is going to happen that way. Um, but uh, by God's grace and in His power, we are just going to join together and to worship Him. And so, if you have your Bible with you, um, and uh, either electronically or otherwise, and you can turn to James chapter 4, verse, starting at verse 13 and going to verse 17. James 4, 13 through 17. And now let's hear God's holy, inerrant, and life-changing word. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Thanks be to God for the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I pray that, uh, that you would guide and direct your words today, that they would transform us, that they would get through the mist and the fog that is in us, the, the tiredness of the celebrations, the weariness of the sense of what is to come in this world, that you, Father, would comfort us, give us peace, and yet challenge us, Father, to do your word, to obey your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me say, first of all, Happy New Year. I had the wonderful opportunity of uh, celebrating New Year's Eve with my wife, Lee, and my two daughters and their husbands. We have a small tradition where we like to gather down at Disney World and we walk around the boardwalk area um, where the boardwalk hotel is on one side and the Swan, no, yeah, Swan and Dolphin is on one side and the Yacht and Beach Club is on the other and it just surrounds the big lake there. The fun part of it is there's lots of people there all walking around just having a good time and chatting and um, celebrating. They give you these goofy hats, you know, to wear and um, I was considering actually wearing it here today, but... Um, but it's really fun because you get to see the fireworks at midnight. Uh, if you look to one area, you can see the fireworks from Epcot um, at, uh, just before midnight. And in the past years, 
when uh, Hollywood Studios would have their fireworks, you could see those as well. And you could sort of stand in this one place and look over here and see the fireworks from Epcot and then look over here and see the fireworks from uh, Hollywood Studios. And it was, it's, it's really a lot of fun. I highly recommend you, you try it. Um, but the great privilege, honestly, is not just to see the fireworks and to celebrate with thousand people or so, but it is to, um, it is the privilege of being together uh, with my family and celebrating a very special time of, of starting a new year. Um, I know that for many of you, you might have New Year's um, celebrations and traditions as well. Maybe some of you, all of you, who knows, will set a resolution, a New Year's resolution. I myself I'm not big into New Year's resolutions. I think over the many years of trying them and failing miserably on my New Year's resolutions, I kind of gave up. It just seemed to me to be a, just a constant state of, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and then by middle of the year, I stopped doing this or that. So I sort of quit on the idea. But there are many people that enjoy and really find a great sense of, of pride even in New Year's resolutions. If you Google New Year's resolutions, it's quite fascinating. Um, according to one website, the top 10 New Year's resolutions for this year are, drum roll please, um, one, find more time for physical fitness, two, lose weight, three, get out of debt, four, improve diet, five, pursue a career ambition, six, spend more time with family and friends, seven, learn something new, eight, spend less time on social media, nine, quit smoking, ten, help others more. Of course, there are a number of websites that have a number of data and so forth and so on, but this one other particular website I wanted to mention gives this year's top 10 resolutions for success and happiness. That is to say, these aren't resolutions that they have gathered that people have made. They are trying to tell you and I that if you make one of these your resolution for the year, you will be successful and happy. And so their top 10 are, number one, eat healthier. Number two, exercise more. Number three, lose weight. Number four, save more, spend less. Number five, learn a new skill or hobby. Number six, quit smoking. Number seven, read more. Number eight, find another job. Number nine, drink less alcohol. And number 10, spend more time with family and friends. I find it fascinating that the last one for success and happiness is to spend time with your family and friends. But it's interesting to me that if you go through both of these lists, both of these lists are things that are about self or one's own self-interest and not about the love of others or of any sort of spiritual matter at all. It is in this context of setting plans for a new year that our text is from, that James is actually speaking to. While James is not specifically talking about New Year's resolutions, 
he does quite directly tell his readers about the right understanding and the proper attitude for making plans about the future. Now, to be clear, James does not say that we should not make plans or even we should not make New Year's resolutions. But what he does say, I think we can think of in two broad categories this morning. One, plans that are formulated without faith in Jesus Christ are plans that lead only to temporary pleasures. And two, plans that focus on worldly goals alone separate us from the provision and the protection of Jesus Christ. The book of James is a letter written by Jesus' brother, James. And from the content of the letter, we are able to learn something about the people to whom it is written. First, it is almost certain that the intended readers of James were Jews. The letter is thoroughly saturated with the spirit and imagery of the Old Testament and Judaism. And so thoroughly, in fact, that it must be reflective of both the background of the readers and the background of the author. But these are former Jews, and they are now Christians. And so the letter implies that the Jewish believers were mainly poor people who were caught up in a situation of considerable social tension. But while the situation of the church in the world provides the background for James's letter, James's main concern is the unbelieving world values infiltrating the church. He warns his readers that friendship with the world is enmity with God and highlights as one key ingredient of pure and undefiled religion is that keeping oneself unstained from the world. His letter is a practical discourse designed to encourage the believers to show the reality of their theological commitment in the practice of their daily lives. The book of James is sometimes thought of as in contrast or in odds even with Paul's letters concerning faith. This might be particularly important given our text this morning is very much about doing and appears on the surface not to be so much about faith. This, both these points are entirely not true. For James does emphasize works, but he admonishes those, and admonishes those, sorry, who have not produced good works. But you see, he does so from the context of saving faith that has already been given to the reader of the book. You see, he scolds the believing Christian who should be producing works flowing from their already saving faith. Surely, one of the main reasons for his letters is the simple plea, do the word. While he is not the theologian that Paul is, all this suggests that the message of James is one that we all need to hear and obey. Remember our first point today. Plans that are formulated without faith in Jesus are plans that lead only to temporary pleasure. 
Looking right at the beginning at verse 13, he comes at us and says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. The tone James adopts suggests that he regards the attitude of these Christians as unworthy of who they really are. In a sense, we're reminded like a father who is forced to rebuke his children for behavior that is not in keeping with the family values. James' quotation here of the merchants is, of course, fictional. As the language of this or that city makes clear, he is not recalling any particular instance, but he is developing a principle. What he does is to put words on the lips of the merchants that intentionally bring to expression their underlying attitude that they are adopting in the plans that they are making. Here are people, as James says, who are deliberate and self-confident in their planning. They decide where they will go, when they will go, how long they will stay. They decide all things. Moreover, they are quite sure of the outcome of their plans. They will indeed make money. As the verse, verses that follow will demonstrate, however, it is not the desire to make money that James is against. He is concerned, rather, about the worldly context in which the plans are made. This is indeed a danger which is particular to all who are in business. And we should guard here against another kind of misinterpretation. The idea that James is forbidding Christians of all... The misinterpretation is the idea that James is forbidding Christians to make plans or to be concerned about the future. Taking out life insurance or saving for retirement, for instance, are not condemned here by James. These may very well be good forms of stewardship. What James rebukes here, as verse 16 will make clear, is any kind of planning for the future that stems from human arrogance in our abilities to determine the course of future events. With the very first word in verse 14, yet, yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. James tries to bring these self-confident merchants back to a proper sense of their place in the world. He reminds them of the kind of people they are. Well, I read this morning from the ESV, the NIV takes this in a different approach to help us see the nuances of the words. They use instead of the word yet, why? The Greek word bears a qualitative sense of, of people such as you. So James is asking, in effect, how can you, being human beings that you are and not the God Almighty, presume to dictate the course of your events? The frailty of human life and the consequent uncertainty of all human plans is the main point of the verse. And he goes on to ask a very, very insightful question, which is easily overlooked. He says, what is your life? It is this very question that I 
think we start with when we make New Year's resolutions. Each of the top 10 resolutions were based based upon the idea that we can resolve to make ourselves better, more full, more secure. We have a sense, obviously, that life is not what it should be. But what is clear from the message of James, from the message of the whole New Testament, is that we cannot make ourselves better. Not in any sense that we can fix all that is wrong with us. Sure, we can resolve to eat better or to get more sleep. And these are indeed good things. But without saving faith in Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we cannot be better, no matter what resolutions we might make. The verse ends with a rather stark reality shock. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The point here is clear enough. Human life is frail and transitory. Here one minute, gone the next. Illness, accident, murder could all cut our lives short just as quickly as the sun dissipates the mist or the shifting of wind blows away the smoke. The transitory nature of life that James reminds us of here is a reoccurring theme in Scripture. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Job 7 says it this way, Remember that my life is but a breath. Psalm 39 also describes life as a simple, transient, quiet breath. But what is undergirding the words here in James are some of the words of Jesus himself. In Luke 12, 15, he warns the crowds about covetousness and reminds them that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In this very brief parable, he illustrates his point with a rich man who, like James's merchants, make definite plans for acquiring more goods, but who was prevented from executing his plans by his death. This point was made very clear to me. This is going to be a struggle. Just tell me now. This point was made very clear to me four years ago, almost to the day. I received a text that a young man that I had worked with and mentored was killed in a car accident on his way to work. He was a very good young man who just the month before his second child was born. He had called me in October to ask me about a new job. And after some lengthy discussion, discussing the plan, he asked me to be a reference for him. He was so excited when he got the job a month later in November. 
I think for him it was the culmination of so many plans for so many dreams he had had. And on November 12th, about one month before he was killed, he wrote me a letter, a handwritten letter. In part, he wrote, as I head into this new chapter of my life with my wife and two kids now, I will continue to learn and grow and develop. I will lead others confidently and in the right direction. I will serve others and serve God in all that I do. I'm not saying that he is an example of someone who formulates plans without faith in Jesus, but I am saying that he is an example of the breath of life. He is a reminder to us that everything and in everything we must be grateful for each day that the Lord has made. This is the attitude that James is driving at. That while the actions or goals or even the outcomes of our plans may turn out well or may turn out tragically poor, our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind are to be grounded in faith in Jesus Christ because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. But Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Our second point this morning certainly supports our first point, and that is the plans that focus on worldly goals alone separate us from the provision and the protection of Jesus. Looking at verse 15, James sets our view as to what should change. He starts off with the word instead, which connects actually back to verse 13 rather than to 15. He's saying, come on, you who are saying, meaning referring back to 13, saying the things that you had said, you should say, or instead you should be saying what I'm about to tell you here in verse 15. Here James urges these confident and presumptuous merchants to add a key qualifier to their planning. If it is the Lord's will. This is an explicit expression of dependence on the Lord that uh, of the Lord that Jesus teaches most famously in the prayer that we prayed this morning, the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even here, Jesus is point to quick out, point quick to point out the fragileness and the frailty of life. Because, because of that fragileness, we are to set our minds and hearts not on the future. The very next line is to give us this day, this day, our daily bread. It is not weekly or monthly or even our 2022 bread. It is daily. Again, Jesus is not teaching here not to make plans or resolutions for the new year or even beyond what he is saying 
however, is the Christian should trust only that God will give us our daily bread and that God only will protect and provide for us each day that he has given. When I was in seminary, I, uh, I had a professor who used to say at the end of every class, God willing, we will meet again next week. At first, I thought this was an interesting statement, but not too terribly important. I mean, on my calendar, I had a meeting for each week and every week after. I had uh, a reading schedule that I had put together for each week to come. I knew that exams were coming up and papers were due weeks ahead. I had plans for the remainder of that entire semester. Further, I'm certain that the professor had a teaching plan, notes and lectures laid out in advance for each week ahead. Over the years, I suspect he even made goals to improve those notes and lectures. He had received feedback from students, I'm sure, over the years on what could be improved. He may have even made a New Year's resolution to be a better teacher or a more published author. All of these things are good, but his point is that of the point of James in verse 15. All those plans are in the hands of the Lord. And if it is in his will, then we will meet again next week. But even if his will is that we should not meet next week, we as believers should trust in his will because God's will is perfect. And because God's will is indeed perfect, we can trust in it for everything each day that he gives us. In verse 16, where James says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. This statement contributes significantly to the understanding of the problems that James is trying to address. Taken by itself, the quotation that James places on the lips of the merchants in verse 13 could appear quite unobjectionable. Remember in verse 13, he just makes the statement that these people are making plans. Indeed, one could find many places in Scripture where prophets and apostles state their plans in very similar terms. But the problem that James now makes clear is the attitude in which these merchants are planning. The root of the problem is arrogance. You boast and you brag, either out loud to others or in silence in your own heart to yourself. Now, there are some things going on with the Greek verb tense in 16, verse 16, but the importance here is the idea of boasting itself is not negative, nor is it a problem. The question is, what is one boasting in? Certainly, we should boast in the Lord. And so James must qualify the verb to indicate that he uses it to depict a boasting that arises from misplaced pride. 
in one's own ability to chart the future. That is the evil that he is referring to. That is to say, the belief in your own abilities to set about plans for the future and achieve those plans is just plain wrong. The achievement of any plan or goal or resolution is in God's will, and it is by His hand. To think otherwise is not to understand the fullness of God's omnipotence, or in James's words, it is to be arrogant to assume that we are in control of what God ordains. So James is very straightforward with us here in, verse, in chapter 4. He tells us the plans that are formulated without faith in Christ are plans that only lead to temporary pleasure and that plans that focus on worldly goals alone separate us from the provision and the protection of Jesus. Therefore, I will make a New Year's resolution right here, right now, in front of you all. I will resolve that if it's God's will, I will be respectful and loving to every driver that is around me while I am driving. Yes, you too have driven in Orlando. I will not mock my fellow drivers. I will not shout at them. Even when they do those crazy three-lane moves between six cars at 95 miles an hour, I, if it's God's will, will try to see them as God does. I will try to have a heart to love them as God does. I will seek to have the patience to understand them as God does. This is my New Year's resolution for 2022. I have tried this before. I think I made it to April, maybe May at best, before I began to shake my fist and wonder why their brain no longer seems to function. But with God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will learn to see all drivers, all people, as God's creation, deserving of God's grace, the grace that He has given to me. As you consider your plans and your resolutions for 2022, listen to the words of James. Better yet, as James said himself, do the word of the Lord. Bring the plans that you have to Christ in prayer. Ask for his direction in setting them. And ask for God's strength in keeping them. Understand that God may have different plans for you in your life. Trust and be grateful for any and all things that take place in your life. Focus on one day at a time. And leave the events of tomorrow to the one who creates tomorrow. 
the one who creates every day, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious and merciful Father, how arrogant are we that we set forth ideas and plans and fixes of things, that we do so thinking that we alone by ourselves may make these things happen, that we may fix ourselves, that we may make ourselves better, that we might by our own power and will be better people, that we in our own strength may love one another, that we may fix all the ills of the world. How arrogant we are to boast in ourselves, but what a pleasure and joy it is to boast in you, for you are the one who makes the days. You are the one who sets forth our path. You are the one that provides our food, our clothing, our housing. All that we have and all that we are is in you. For your will is perfect. And your will for us is perfect. That we might stand in your throne. To be in your heavenly places. And to one day walk with you where there is no weeping no crying no gnashing of teeth there is no sin there is no heartache for we will walk with you forever and ever in joy and in peace and it's in jesus name we pray amen let's join together in song before our holy Lord.